Welcome to the Real Voices of Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my Hall of Fame co-host, Kevin Kernan. This is Coaching Kernan, our flagship show, episode 153 on the network. Before we begin with our guests today and, and uh, turn it over to Kevin to, to talk about some of the great articles he's written this week and what's on his mind, I want to thank our audience. We went over the 15,000 mark uh, the other day, so 15,000 subscribers and some change. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. It makes a difference in terms of us being able to bring you this great content every week. Follow us on social media. You can follow Kevin on his social media, but also follow him on Ball 9. And our, our buddies over there at Ball 9 t- turn out great work every week. Make sure we continue to support him and them there. You can hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I answer a question of the day. Uh, today was uh, last two days with a controversial women's basketball stuff going on. So we'll, we'll get off that after today, hopefully. Um, but, uh, you know, we've got a great guest today, uh, eclectic background. I think you, your audience is going to enjoy it. it. has some great stories, I believe, to tell from his time in baseball uh, in a different position we haven't had. But uh, before we begin that, uh, Kevin, uh, again, great articles this week, uh, constantly holding the, the the brass and the legislation of baseball, holding their feet to the fire. And you're the only one holding them accountable right now. Um, but you also had a great, you had a great uh, networking opportunity with a friend of yours, Alex Rodriguez, where he had uh, the new show that, that Alex is doing over there. So welcome back to, to the show. And uh, I'd love to have you share a little bit about some of that stuff you wrote. Yeah, Dave, great to be back. Um, excited about this show. It's going to be uh, right in our wheelhouse, baseball, football, relationships, uh, leadership. I think that's what it's all about. But yeah, I had a good conversation with Alex Rodriguez and uh, Michael Kay, two of my old buddies from my New York days. Um, yeah, it's called Talking Baseball. And it's a fun article, you know, because sometimes I, you're right, I do hold baseball to the feet to the fire, but sometimes you got to mix it up. And we and we talked a lot of baseball in there. How, how you know, Michael goes all the way back to the New York Post when I was there. And um you know, how he evolved into what he evolved into, uh, you know, from a, a newspaper guy to, to really the voice of the Yankees. And and Alex said an interesting thing. He said, other than Aaron Judge, he thinks that Michael is the most, uh, you know, the iconic Yankee right now. If you think about it, it's the broadcasters. And and we have one today. It's the broadcasters who are linked to the fans. So, so it was great. And then we had some fun with Alex because uh michael was talking about bringing up different uh guests including maybe madonna and i reminded alex i happened to be in his apartment today broke up with madonna so that was fun uh not many you know that was a unique experience and then of course where's where's the beef was my other column this week and that was mainly off the commercial from years ago where it was a big bun but where's the beef and i think that's what baseball is doing with the pitch clock um no doubt it had to be speed, uh, sped up a little bit, but that could have been done organically. Um, so now they're doing all this stuff. Where's the beef? You know, what's going on? Is, is the, the game is faster, but is it better? And I, and I, and I, I entertain that uh, throughout the whole column, talk to, talk to some people. And, um, and I, you know, I, I just don't think it is at this point. I th- and I don't know if you saw the Bryce Harper interview the other day. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty important. And uh, it's what I've been saying all along. They're just doing – People in charge of baseball don't know baseball. So they, they throw out these things and, and it happens. The other thing I want to say, and I'll, I'll let us move on. Um, I'm thinking about writing later this week. The ball seems to be flying to me. Uh, it's April. Usually it doesn't fly this well. 
Um, but uh, may, you know, who knows? Maybe the balls will, the bases are juiced. The uh, ability to steal bases is is juiced. Maybe the balls are a little 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 wound up tight too. So uh, that's where I'm at. And let's get on with the show. Yeah, no, great articles, and I, I agree. I mean, it seems to like we continue on this analytics arms race efficiency speed thing and i don't know think they know where they're going with it and i'm glad harper spoke up because it's going to take the stars demanding their game back for this to, to happen absolutely absolutely I, I give them a lot of credit for doing that and <laughs> but uh with our guest today now uh very uh, kind of by accident we met uh we met on social media there was some banter going back when there was talk about the bat boys uh the major league baseball getting on the bat boys now about the speed at which they go and get the bats and uh, these poor these poor guys out there just trying to make the lives easier for the pros. They're they're uh, they're busting their butts just as long as everybody else there. And now we've got the clocks on them to make sure they can do that. So our guest today, we met through some chat on on the Bat Boy stuff, and it turns out we've got a common common friend, uh, another host on our show, and wonderful background. Our audience will certainly enjoy it. So with uh, with our guest today, you know, he's, we uh, he was a he was a Bat Boy a long time ago for the Texas Rangers. Spent some time in the home dugout. So we hope he's had some, some good stories about Jeff Fry. I know he was there during that time. But then he went to the visitor's dugout, so he got to meet anybody and everybody in baseball. So I'm sure there's some wonderful stories to go along with that. But with his background, goes right along with our push here, was a recruited two-sport athlete in college, went to TCU to play baseball and football, ended up just playing football, was a center fielder in baseball, but a safety in football, played all four years at TCU. He's the last 10 years he spent as a sideline analyst for TCU football. And I got his permission before I'll kind of uh, allude to it, but he said it's the worst kept secret going, but he's about to be elevated to the booth to do color for the TCU football. We know what kind of program they have there and, and how successful they were last year getting to the title game. But with that, I want to welcome uh, to our show, Landry Burdine. Landry, welcome. David, thanks. I'm, I'm excited to be on, man. It's not very often I get to talk baseball on these podcasts. So this is a real treat and, uh, Man, it's been really fun catching up on some of y'all's previous episodes over the last few weeks. Just trying to get to know you. It's a it's a great show, and uh, you know, anytime I get to talk about the great game, I'm always happy to do it. So thanks for having me on. No, no worries. And this is this was our flagship show on the network um, with with Kevin being the star of our show here, and, and really the kind of the the push behind the growth of this network. So uh, we're fortunate to have him, and you you guys will have a lot to talk about as well um as as you get to him but i wanted to kind of start with your your bat boy days if that's okay um tell tell us how you you got into being a bat boy um you know at what age how long were you there you made that shift from the the home dugout to the visitors dugout give, give our audience kind of an overview of how you started when you started and, and kind of a general of what what a bat boy does yeah uh it's a good question so like with most things in life you know it comes you, you've got to have some connections typically for that job and uh, we knew some people in the in the Rangers front office. I grew up just down the street from the ballpark, and obviously had had grown up going uh, to games as a kid at the old ballpark, uh, which was just it was an erector set. I mean that that ballpark uh, that that the Rangers you know moved into when they moved to town was just terrible, but it had a lot of character to it. It was almost like people loved it because it was so bad. Uh, and then when they started to announce that they were going to build a new stadium, there was a ton of excitement around town and. So I started asking around to see if there might be an opportunity for me to 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 be a bad boy. There was a guy that was playing on my uh, team at the time named Johnny Johnson, who's a high school baseball coach in Alabama now, uh, that was in that position. And and so, you know, he talked to the clubhouse guys and um, Tom Grieve, Mr. Ranger, was the, the general manager at the time as well. And we kind of knew him. And so 
I was able to get an interview uh, and the interview was pretty intense. You know, I mean, they were like, look, we, this is a pretty serious job and a pretty important job. Um, not just taking care of the players, but making sure that the game flows correctly and you kind of got to be on point and, and there's a lot of long hours. And so, you know, playing baseball in high school, they were, they just wanted to make sure uh, that the guys they were bringing on, and there were four of us at the time, there were four bat boy positions at the time. They wanted to make sure that we could do the job. So, uh, that's kind of how I got in. Uh, I remember my first day at the ballpark, the brand new ballpark, um, was just incredible, uh, getting to go down and park where the players parked underneath the stadium. And I walk in and, and the first player I see the guy that was there the earliest, and you guys are probably gonna laugh about this was Jose Canseco. Uh, <laughs> and there was nobody else in the clubhouse except for some of the clubbies, uh, the guys doing laundry, things like that. And, and there's Canseco, right? I mean, one of the Bash brothers. And, and you know, he had just signed on with the Rangers and, um, you know, a year or two prior. And uh, so my very first visit was with him. He, he actually came in because he was bored. And he sat in the little bat boy room with me until a bunch of the other guys showed up. So that was a highlight for me. And, uh, you know, for all his faults, he was a great guy and he was really kind to me. So that's kind of how I got started. But the job itself was, you know, was pretty all encompassing, man. It, it, you would get there early, uh, you know, for a seven o'clock game, we typically got there about two or three o'clock. Um, you get the dugout ready. That's kind of the first thing you want to knock out. You know, you, you get the seeds and the gum and at the time, all the tobacco, I mean, it was, you know, snuff and chew and, you know, whatever else you, you could put out there for the guys, what they liked. And, and so you got all that ready. And then, by about that time, they were starting early BP uh, for the guys that wanted to do it. And that was one of my favorite times because there was nobody in the ballpark. Uh, you could run around shirtless out there, shag fly balls. Nobody cared. And you really didn't have a job. It was just kind of goof off time. And they would even let us hit some uh, during that time. The players would. And uh, so early BP was fun. Then you obviously you took took regular BP, you know, with fans in the stadium. And, and you were either the bucket guy, right, that had to get all the balls and run them up to the guy throwing, throwing the BP or you shagged. And then from then it was the game and, you know, you work the game and we can get into that. There was a lot, a lot that goes into that. And and then after the game, you know, the work didn't stop. You kind of had to take care of the guys. Uh, you know, there were some guys that liked to have a beer in their locker after the game. You made sure to get that. And, um, you know, some of the guys had to pack their bags if it was a travel day. So you helped them with that. And then, you know, when everybody's gone, you're in there cleaning shoes and, those guys are pretty particular about their shoes. And I remember that, you know, that if you put too much polish or not enough, they were going to let you know about it. And so you took a lot of pride in it, you know, and it was just a, it was a really fun time. Um, my first year was 1994, which was the strike season. And we can get into that and kind of the pitfalls of that as a bat boy, we missed out on a lot of tips at the end of that season because the guys were gone. But uh, yeah, it was just a great experience, man. I, I, I tell people to this day, it was probably the best job I ever had. And but definitely the most fun I've ever had being around the game. So, I mean, you just, that, that's a lot to, to take in for a, a first job right there. And I, I can imagine being a concierge for a 40 man roster has got to be, got to be challenging. Now you spent time in the home, home, uh, home locker room for your first year and then you moved over to the visitors. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. There was after the strike year. Uh, so there, the clubhouse guy for the Rangers at the time was a guy named Joe Macko, who, who, if you follow baseball and know anything about baseball, I mean, he's, he's a legend. Um, Career minor leaguer. I'm not sure Joe ever made it to the bigs, but he was beloved uh, by by guys all around the sport. I mean, he would you'd go in Joe's office and he'd tell you to sit down, and he'd he'd have Joe Garagiola in there, you know, visiting with him. Or I remember Mickey Mantle was in there one time, and um, you know, Dr. Bobby Brown, and all these guys that that you had heard about and knew about. 
there they are in person. So you get to visit with him. And um, after the after the strike season, Joe moved over to to the visiting clubhouse and was able to kind of handpick the guys he wanted. So so I went over there with him, um, with a couple other guys, and got to see a completely different side of it. You know, on the home side, you get to know the guys because you're with them every day uh, for the season. On the visitor side, it's you know it's a three game set or a four game set. They're in and out and and off they go. And so that was cool too, though. You know, you got to see pretty much everybody in the bigs at least once, you know, more often twice. And the best part was those guys tipped you at the end of the series. So, you know, you, you might, if you really took care of a guy, like, I, you know, Wade Boggs always had a guy when he showed up and he would tell you, you're my guy. And, you know, I'm going to be pretty demanding, but at the end of it, I'll take care of you. And so, um, you know, that was really cool for a kid who loved the game and, and, you know, just wanted to be around it to get to see all those guys was, was really cool. And kind of culminated in 95 when the all-star game was here and, you know, got to work the all-star game and, and be around some of the best, obviously to ever play. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I, if I had a preference, I'd say I probably preferred the home side because you got to be really good friends with those guys and, um, you know, got to get to know them. And, and that was a lot of fun. Well, talk, talk about, I guess, on both sides. We'll start with Boggs and then we'll go back to the home side because you mentioned Boggs. What's a, what's what are some of Wade Boggs demands when he says I'm very demanding? And well, how, how well did he tip? <laughs> I tipped great. I, I think at the end of that, he gave me 200 bucks, which might as well have been a million, um, you know, for, for a kid that couldn't afford to put gas in his truck. That was a lot of money. Uh, but no, he, I remember uh, to this day, he walked in and he's like, look, I, I'm, I'm pretty particular. If I, you know, if I go over, I'm going to want you to replace everything. Um, if, you know, if I ask for something, I need you to get it, you know, pronto. And, and he would kind of tell you what he wanted ahead of time. And so, you know, what you did was you just tried to make sure it was all there and and that you weren't seen. You know, if somebody wasn't really calling your name, that meant you were doing your job. And so, you know, he wanted a certain type of snack and he wanted something to drink at a certain time and, and you know, all those kinds of things. And so you just made sure you did it and you had it in there. And then if he came up to you and asked you for a special favor, you did it pretty quickly and, and you know, everybody was happy. So, um I do remember, I think there was one game where he did not get a hit and uh, hat, jersey, socks. I mean, it was all gone. And I remember asking him if I could have his hat and he had to really think about it, you know, because he wanted it to be gone, like in the trash. And and he wound up giving me that hat, which was pretty cool. I still have it to this day. He didn't have many days with no hits either. So that's, no, no. <laughs> no, he didn't. It's, uh, now, what was the, from the visitor's dugout, if, if you can share, I know there's probably some unwritten code where, you know, what's, what happens in the locker room stays, but what's the oddest request you ever got? Uh, to take a guy to the dentist. Uh, I actually had to take Russ Davis who played third base for the Yankees. Uh, I had to take him to the dentist. He had an abscess tooth or something. And, um, so, so Joe Macko comes over, he's like, Hey, I need you to take this guy to the dentist. And I only knew my dentist. Right. And so, uh, <laughs> my pediatric dentist at the time. So I called him and he was like, well, I can't help them, but you know, it's, it's not like you could just walk into a dentist any more then than you could today, but uh, made a call. Um, it, it helped to have some connections. I think I called my dad and said, who can we get this guy into? And uh, lo and behold, there was a dentist that we knew that, that was able to get him in. So I took Russ Davis to the dentist. Uh, and then a couple of times I, I took Jack McDowell to the airport, um, which he, he was not a great tipper. Uh, the pitcher uh, for the White Sox, and yeah. I took Bo Jackson to the airport, which Bo was Jackson. one of my favorite memories. So there was always some strange requests, but you know, you just kind of did whatever was asked of you, and 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 that's how you kept that job. Yeah, we had Blackjack on the show early on. He let us play his song he wrote specifically for 
analytics and the nerds. So he's uh, he let us use it for a couple weeks on the show. But when we get him back on, I'll, I'll talk to him about that tip. Maybe he can do it retroactive. Yeah, he was a great guy. I do remember that. He's really eccentric. You know, he's just one of those really interesting guys to be around and and what a great player. So, uh, yeah, he didn't have a lot of cash on him. I, I don't think it was because he was a bad tipper. I think it was yeah. he didn't have a lot of cash on him. What, now, back on the, the home side here, and I, I we can go, gosh, I, I'm looking forward to hearing some stories about the All-Star game too, but you had you had one of our hosts, Jeff Fry. Um, did you spend a lot of time with him? And what was, like, what was it like to cater to Jeff? Yeah, Jeff was great. So he he was pretty young in his career. I don't really, that wasn't his rookie year, but he he hadn't been in the big leagues for a long time. Um, he was a really good clubhouse guy. He was he treated us really fairly, and he was kind. And um, you know, I, I'll always appreciate that with him. He was a really good friends with Darren Oliver, who was a pitcher, and uh, you know, just got along great with everybody. But man, that was an intense dude. Jeff was an intense guy when the when the game. Uh, was going on. And I'll always remember, you know, he had a big high leg kick when he swung and, um, you know, he wasn't, he's not a big guy at all, but man, he would hit some backspun line drives to right center um, regularly. And I just said, that still sticks out to me to this day, the, the image of him with a giant chew in his mouth, um, you know, staring down the pitcher and, and, and just really was a really good hitter. Uh, but he was just a good teammate too. And he played really hard. Um, you know, he was just a hard nosed guy, played a great second base. Um, you know, I, I, he's pretty vocal about a lot of the rules that have softened the game today, but he wasn't afraid to take on a guy trying to break up a double play. He wasn't afraid to get in a guy's face. And and so I always liked that about him as I watched and kind of modeled how I wanted to play the game when I was younger. Uh, guys like Jeff um, were guys that I tried to emulate with, with, you know, he wasn't a big talker, right? He, he did all of his talking with his bat and with his glove. And, and um, you know, he didn't get to where he was by uh, talent alone. I mean, he had to be the hardest worker uh, to, to play as long as he did. So, yeah, he left an impression on me. He's a good guy. I still bump into him from time to time around town. And you know, we kind of laugh about those bad boy days. And uh, But, yeah, I was, I was always impressed with him. And that was an interesting locker room, man. I mean, you think about it, you had Canseco, you had Will Clark, um, you had uh, Juan Gonzalez, Pudge Rodriguez, Kevin Brown. I mean, you can go down the list of characters in that locker room. And so it was a really interesting team to be around. Rusty Greer's another one, um, you know, that uh, they came together. They weren't great, uh, but they sure were a lot of fun to be around. Yeah. And I'll, I got one more and I'll kind of I'll pass it on to Kevin. We, um, you know, we talked to a lot of our audiences, grassroots all the way to Major League front offices. And we have a big following um, of young kids that, that listen to the show. As you had this experience with the Bat Boy, what were some things that you soaked up from some of these stars that you were around that maybe helped you in your game and then, um, you know, helped you mold the kind of player you were going to become, much like you just said about Jeff? Yeah, I think a lot of it was just how they went about their their business. Um, you know, we would go down and they would be taking BP in the cage. And, you, you know, you hear it all the time. You, you, these guys talk about having a low heart rate. And you would watch them in the cage. And of course, you know, when I'm in high school, all we're trying to do is just hit it as hard as we can, as, as far as we can. And they get in the cage and they're, they're clearly working on one thing, right. Or two things. And, and they're very methodical with how they do things. And so I started to kind of watch that and watch how they went about their stretching and their warmups and, you know, how they played catch with intention, um, all of those kind of things. And it kind of changes you because then when you go out to play catch before a game, 
now you're trying to hit the guy in the chest every time instead of just throwing the ball around without any kind of purpose. And so I think that's the thing I took away from it was everything those guys did. I mean, they were a pro and they were a pro in how they played catch and they were a pro in how they took BP and they were a pro in how they handled themselves in the locker room. And um, so, you know, from that standpoint, I think it made me a better baseball player, number one, but it really made me a better clubhouse guy, a better locker room guy that I took with me into my college football career too. No, that's a, was there any one guy that you said that's that's the guy I want to be like? You know, it's interesting. Uh, that's a really good question. I, I, I would tell you at the time, I, I was a big fan of Lenny Dykstra until I met him. And, and I met him for the All-Star game in 95, and I couldn't have been more unimpressed. And I was actually, I, candidly, I was really disappointed. Uh, because on TV and everything else, you saw how he played and how hard he played. And you're like, wow, that's that's the kind of guy I want to be like. And then when you meet him, he was just a miserable person. Uh, you know, just uh, put it to you as honestly as I can. I, he was he was leading off the All-Star game in 95. I think he showed up two hours before. He smoked about two packs of non-filtered Pall Malls, and he was gone by the fourth inning. And, you know, it was just – it was really – uh, that was kind of interesting. So, you know, looking back, I think the guy that I wound up really watching more as I – kind of got out of baseball and the guy I admired the most was a guy like Dustin Pedroia. Um, you know, guys like that um, were, were guys I really enjoyed watching. Um, at the time, there was a guy named Dean Palmer that played third for the Rangers. Uh, I really liked him, how he went about his, his day. And there was a guy named Oda B. McDowell um, that, that I really liked. He was always happy and, you know, he's just a good guy to have around the clubhouse. He played really hard. And then, of course, you know, guys like Jeff, uh, Jeff Fry, I, you know, that, I would say those guys probably had the most impact on me. Yeah, those those are great answers. Oda B. McDowell had my favorite Chris Berman nickname. I know you, you're you're involved with football now, but Oda B. Young and Ben McDowell was his his Chris Berman nicknames. <laughs> I remember. Right. Kevin, I'll pass it on to you. I know you got a ton of things. Oh, no, great job. Uh, you know, it's it's a fascinating job. I've always felt. You know, the clubhouse guys were my guys. To be honest, with you. as a writer, you know, I was in the club. I don't know how you dealt with the writers down there. You know, I knew. You had some big time writers, Randy Galloway and things like that. I don't know if you kept your distance. Uh, uh, you had John Blake from PR, who's a character in himself. So uh, you really had an interesting uh, clubhouse on so many levels. And and people don't understand how hard you work. So my first question is going to actually bounce you forward. How, how did that work ethic that you had to develop in dealing with people, how did it help you in, in your future job, uh, not just broadcasting, but your other job, which you do, I think you can talk about that as well. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think, Kevin, that's a good question. And I, I do think it helped a ton. You know, I'm so I'm in the commercial real estate business for my day job, in addition to the broadcasting stuff I do for TCU. And, you know, you have to learn how to deal with all manner of people, right? And 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 people are different and, and they have different motivations and different uh, ways they go about doing their business. And if your job is to cater to them, then your job is to figure out what it is that makes them tick and, and how they do their job better. And so I think from that standpoint, you know, we would come in during the day and and every one of those guys uh, had something that they needed from you that that was going to be probably a lot different than the other guy. And, and you wound up getting to know that pretty quick with the home side because you were around them so much. But the visitor side, you know, that was that was just a, a new present. You got to open every four or five days and, and try to figure it out and, and adapt and learn. And uh, so I think it, it it taught me to be flexible. It taught me to be patient, you know, because, I mean, sometimes those guys are pretty moody and they, they bark at you and you learn to deal with that, uh, which I think is, is important. You kind of learn to deal with failure. Uh, and, 
you know, but watching professionals go about their job, I don't care what it is, uh, is going to have a positive impact on a kid uh, that's trying to figure out his way in life. And, you know, the discipline that those guys had was probably the best thing for me to be watching at that age. Yeah. And, and, and the job was so different. Every, you, you never knew. That's why I love being a writer and, and going in clubhouses because you never knew what was going to happen. And, and you make a great point. You got to get used to getting yelled at or, or at least questioned and things like that. Cause the same thing happened as a writer. Um, but you also have to, you got to be creative. I would think too. Like sometimes you got to come up with a creative solution. Do you have any, uh, instances of a, a story that maybe you had to come up with a creative solution to keep a guy happy? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a really good question. The things that we would do to try to be creative were things that we did to try to be more efficient. So, you know, everybody, you had to count on a guy breaking in a, a bat during an at bat. And just that in and of itself was almost a full-time job because you had to have another bat ready. Like it wasn't a thing where you could go back and, and, start searching through a whole bunch of bats to find us. You didn't have time for that. And so we developed a system where, you know, the guy that was in, we always had a guy in the dugout. We had a guy that was on the field, obviously the bat boy that you see. And then back then we had a guy that was down the line. And so the, the guy down the line would cater to the, the bullpen guys when they came in, they'd run out, grab their jacket, they'd take them stuff, those kind of things. But the guy in the dugout had a pretty, pretty, big job where he was rotating bats through the entire game. So he'd know who the first four guys up the next inning were. He'd have those ready in order. Um, you know, see that, that was a creative solution for us because then if a guy broke a bat, you could hear it immediately. You had that in your hand and you were out there with it. And uh, you know, we, we, I know we'll get into some of the bat boy rules, but when I saw some of those, I just laughed. I'm like, I don't know what these guys think these bad boys are doing all day, but I mean, you had to be on point you had to be ready. And, I remember one time uh, Buck Showalter, 95, when the Yankees were in. Oh, boy. Uh, pretty intense guy. And uh, he one of his – I think it was his bench coach at the time was getting Brian Butterfield. And at the end of that series, it's probably one of the best compliments I could have ever gotten. Butterfield came up to me and said, hey, Skipper wanted me to tell you that he 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 likes you and you are locked. And that was – he's like, you are locked in. And that was great for me, right? It was a little positive feedback that you didn't get much. And to get that from Buck Showalter – uh, and Brian Butterfield, who I thought a lot of, um, was really big. So, you know, that was just kind of a, a, a tip of the cap to kind of how we try to make it more efficient and get creative and do the job well. Well, you, you know, you're throwing out names that, you know, it's incredible because, you know, I obviously knew all those guys. And uh, to get that kind of compliment from Buck, who there was no one out, you know, he's got his little cards, his little information, you know, spring training, things like that. Uh, he's in charge of everything. And, um, and then you also meet the other clubhouse guys. I mean, I don't know if you had a chance with uh, through the years with like uh, the Kakuza brothers from uh, the Yankees, you know, Lou and, and those guys. I know how hard they work. It's, it's almost a family business. So so it, it, it really is. You made a great point when when those rules came out, when the, the, the comment came out by the commissioner, it was just another an example which I say all along is that these guys don't know anything about baseball. I mean, spend five minutes, just spend five minutes in a clubhouse and you see what the bat boys do. They're, they're the hardest workers out there. And uh, I love talking to them because they had a lot of good insight. You know, they, a lot of them became very successful in other careers. And even if they stayed in that career, that's a very successful career. And you mentioned the tips. Uh, if you were, if you were, I know I won't mention names, but I know one clubby, uh, early on, when I started in the business, he was um, he was able to buy his house with cash. Yeah, 
<laughs> that's no, that's right. It was the job was 25 bucks a game plus tips back then. And, you know, depending on the series, I remember Mike Hargrove was in, uh, I guess with the Indians at the time, he gave me 400 bucks and that was after three days of work. And, uh, Tom Hankey came in with the, I think with the Cardinals and, and gave me a big tip. And, you know, some, you start racking it up, you're like, my gosh, I made eight grand this summer, which again, might as well have been a million. So it was, yeah, it was, like I said, it was the best job I ever had, man. I'd go back. If you elevate that to the guy who's in charge of the clubhouse, that's even more so because, uh, you know, uh, uh, those guys have to do everything. I mean, you, you just touched on it, but it's amazing, uh, what the clubhouse managers have to do. And another trick, I remember the San Diego clubhouse managing a visiting clubhouse manager. I don't know if you guys ever figured it out, but I mean, usually on Thursdays was a getaway day on a, um, you know, and it was a day game in San Diego. So that was the day he would take out the big uh, grills. That's he, he would cut barrels in half and make grills out of them. He would barbecue uh, steaks and lobster tails. And man, the tips flew, right? <laughs> I bet they did. <laughs> I don't ever remember getting that, but I do remember that uh, when it was tip day, when that whenever the clubbies felt like it was tip day, there was always a little bit of elevated service there. And then right, yeah, and the uh, and and you have to remember back then. I'm talking about you know eighty eight, eighty nine. The, the the food wasn't as good as it is now. The food now, it's like that's why these players are fat now. By the way, a lot of them because they just don't stop eating. They're at the clubhouse at twelve o'clock. They never go home. You know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner basically there. So it's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, the uh, what's the biggest? If you had to say one, one skill that being a, a clubhouse um, attendant, what was the biggest skill you've learned through that uh, process? Oh, Kevin, that's a good. One. I you know probably anticipation. Um, you know, planning and, and kind of anticipating the next ask. Um, I, I would say that probably is what has served me the best in my, in my career, both as a broadcaster and, and in, in the real estate business, you start to kind of look ahead at, at, at the chess match that's, that's coming and, and kind of plan accordingly. And, it, you know, you can't do that job without, without trying to think a few moves ahead of what, what those guys might need. So probably that, you know, I, I think that and probably patience. At that's the end a great of the answer. Yep. No, that, that, that says it all. Cause it, and, and I'm sure as a sideline report, let's, let's flash forward. It has to help you in that job, too, because that's anticipation. That's uh, patience. That's, uh, uh, you know, your personality, being able to get information that, that other people can't get. So I think it all ties hand in hand. Yeah, there's no question. It, it, they're very similar. You know, anytime you're around sports and you've got a job either covering a team or, or servicing a team or whatever it may be, I, I think it's it's very similar uh, traits there that you're trying to, to do the job well. So there's no question. Now I'm going to tell you what scares me about uh, just being out and about uh, nowadays. I'm kind of a friendly person, um, so I'll say hi to people. You say hi to the younger generation a lot. Now, maybe it's different in Texas, but here where I'm in Florida, a lot of these younger generation uh, kids, they can't even say hello. They, they they can't look you in the eye. They can't do any of that stuff. So being a clubhouse attendant, that forces you to be a people person, I would imagine. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, Kevin, I think – so I've got, I've got twin, uh, 16 year old sons that, that are athletic and play. And, and I think part of just growing up and being in the locker room, it's the value of sport, right. Is, is you learn to, to coexist and live Absolutely. with people that are way different than you and that look different than you. And, and you learn to look guys in the eye and solve problems and, and do all the things like that. So I, you know, that's, what's funny. I, I don't know. There's 
there's probably very few bat boys in, in, in the big leagues that are not active high school baseball players, I would think. And so uh, you're going to get really the best of the best that are out there doing that job and, and are able to kind of, you know, communicate and look people in the eye, shake hands, my goodness, you know, be able to shake a hand and, you know, do all those other things that, that yeah, that I, I think, you know, today's generation does struggle with a little bit. Yeah, if you give them that fish, if you give them the fish handshake, Right away, when you meet a weight box or something, they're, they're going to your tips out the window. Yeah, they're going to find somebody else. I can promise you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And and uh, Hank Bauer is a good friend of mine, the, the, the football player, and he's a broadcaster as well. So so moving into that job, uh, you know, I, I know we're a baseball thing, but I I love football. So does Dave. We we love all sports. Give us the excitement of being around a football team, college football team where the program turns around or is great and some of the players that you saw and some of the experiences you've had. Yeah, that's, you know, it's been such a big part of my life. Um, you know, when I went to TCU, it was to play baseball and football. I had a wrist injury that they discovered the day I got there and, and my baseball career was effectively over. So it was a good learning experience of, you know, God has a different plan for me and and that's fine. I'm going to embrace it and, and work hard. So I walked on on the football team and, we were pretty bad uh, at the time TCU was, and I wound up getting a scholarship, getting to play a little bit. But my senior year, we had a, a coaching change, and we went from 1-10 to winning our first bowl game. We beat USC in the Sun Bowl, uh, which was our first bowl win in 50 years. And I saw grown men crying, and it was just incredible. And on that team was LaDainian Tomlinson and Aaron well, A great Schultz. guy, by the way, right? He's a great oh, guy. He's a, yeah, he's the best. I mean, yeah. LT is just one of the finest humans I know. Um, great father great ambassador for the game. And uh, Aaron Schobel, who played in Buffalo for years, was an all-pro, was on that team. And so, you know, we had some dudes, but the thing that's really gratifying to look back on now, especially in light of a national championship run by TCU last season, was that was the turning point in 98 when we when we won the Sun Bowl that turned the program around. You know, it was our first bowl win in 50 years. I think we went to 19 straight after that, and we've competed for national title, titles ever since. So getting to be a part of that and – and, you know, I wasn't a great player by any means. And, and you know, I, I would never, you know, purport that I was, but I found a role. Um, I found a way to add value. And I think I could look back to my time as a bad boy and some of the other jobs I had. And, and you know, it was all that all played a part in me becoming who I was and trying to find a way to be a part of something bigger than yourself and add value. And, and it may not be as a guy that's, you know, scoring, you know, 30 touchdowns in a season or whatever, but you know, I found a way to contribute on special teams and a little bit on defense and really more in a leadership role than anything. And I embraced it. And uh, that that has served me well to this day. Yeah. Well, we're talking to Landry Bergeen and, and his stories are incredible on different levels. But you said something earlier, too, that I want to address because I thought it was right on. You talked about cleaning shoes. I, you know, obviously, the people that listen to our show, we have a lot of uh, inside baseball people. They know all about it. But to me, that's always one of the sounds of the clubhouse, if you think about it, or at least the hallway leading into the clubhouse. Um, give a play-by-play so people who don't understand what that's all about and, and how you actually clean the shoes, the whole process, what, what, what you do in the banging and the uh, dirt and the garbage can, the, the whole deal. Yeah, it is one of the sounds. You're right. You can tell you've been in plenty of clubhouses if you know that sound. So I'm going to give you two scenarios because they're two drastically different scenarios. One's a normal game, and that's when you go in, and we kind of had a cart where we'd go around and collect all the shoes, and and uh, we'd take them into the back room. We had two trash cans. We had a bucket of water, a couple of brushes, and you get all the dirt off. I mean, top, bottom, everywhere. I mean, you had that thing looking 
really good. And then for the players that wanted it, and most of them did, then you would polish them. And then you put them back. And it was a two, probably a two-hour process. I mean, it was a long time. You had really two or three guys doing that while the other guy was, you know, doing some other cleaning up and things like that. But, you know, I kind of enjoyed it. We took a lot of pride in shoes. And it was also a reason that I got to get home late. Right. I mean, there was there was there was there was days where I get home at one or two a.m. and we'd have a day game the next day. And I just loved it. But that's a normal game day. The days of the rain, rain. Oh, boy. Yeah. Those are rough, man. The the rain, the mud, the you know, the cleanup that was required on a muddy shoe was otherworldly. And and that was that was when it wasn't a whole lot of fun. Um, I remember Maca would bring us in a pile of towels that was, you know, as tall as I am. And, and we would go through those things and they'd just be muddy and dirty. Then you felt bad for the clubby that had to wash those. Uh, but, you know, getting those shoes right because they had to have them the next day. This wasn't, you know, those guys would have two pair, but it wasn't like today where you go in a locker room and they've got 10 pair of shoes. Right. Uh, different or, time. Different time. Yeah. yeah, completely different time. And it wasn't just the shoes either, right? It was the gloves. Their gloves would get muddy. They'd want you to clean those. It was... Uh, you know, their cap, their, their batting gloves, anything that was non-uniform related, that was a whole nother, you know, set of clubbies that handled the actual uniforms, but anything that needed cleaning outside of a Jersey and pants, you know, that was on us. And so, uh, yeah, he took a lot of pride in it, but yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Those rain games, when you saw the forecast, you'd be like, ah, you know, all right, mom and dad, it's gonna be a late night, you know? And there were times where I spent the night on the training table, uh, where I would, I would just sleep at the, at the ballpark. And, you know, if it was going to be a day game the next day, uh, we did that routinely. Yeah, that's the amount of work. That's why, again, that's why we're not picking on Rob Manfred when he says the things he says. It just shows he doesn't know what he's talking about and, uh, you know, how, how hard these guys work. And, and the uh, the other thing I wanted to ask, uh, got a couple more if I flip it back to Dave, was uh, let, let people know how much laundry is done in a normal day in, in a ballpark, how much laundry is done for those players. Because, you know, I'll see guys take three, four showers, five towels, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, just, just let everybody know how much laundry is done in a day. It, that's the thing that I don't know that people appreciate uh, because it's, it's, there's at least two full loads every day that get done. And that's in a perfect scenario. And this right? is an industrial washer, right? It's not, yeah. it's not a badge washer. That's right. I think, I think the Rangers back then had like four cause they had a new ballpark. So they were able to expand their operation a little bit, but you had one guy in there for the Rangers. It was Dave Bales. I'll never forget Bales. He would sit in there and he'd had a toothbrush and he had, you know, stain remover and he would just sit there and scrub, man. And he was the best at it. And that was, that was what Bales did. But that's on a normal day on days where let's say you had some guys that were working on sliding or they were diving for balls in early VP. Now you got to get a whole nother uniform, right? Because they've, they've stained it up before the game starts. And it's not like little league ball where you can just roll out there with stains on your pants in the big leagues. And so it was, I, I, that was the one thing coming away. I'm like, man, the three to four dudes that sit in there and do that laundry day in and day out, 81 times a year, uh, those guys earn their job, man. That is a thankless position, and um, and they're probably the hardest workers. No, there's no question. They are the hardest workers in that clubhouse. <clears throat> no, I'm glad you explained that so well because I want people to understand what it's not. It's not just like going to. It's like me, you know. When I can't tell you how many people through the years said, "Hey, I'm going to be at a game. Let's, I'll buy you a beer in the fourth inning." Well, now I'm kind of working, you know. Yeah. So right. you know, I, I can't buy a beer in the fourth inning. Now, when I covered the NBA here and there, I would have a beer. I got to be honest, it was a different world. But uh, uh, the other thing, I be, before before I go back to Dave, uh, last one here, I can't let you go 
because he's such a unique character, and, and I think you nailed it. He is a nice guy, but I can't let you go without saying telling one Jose Canseco story that's got you know, you know, because you know I knew everything about the tortoises he had that kind of went in the pool and died. You know, that was I think in Florida or something like that. So he he's a unique guy. Is there one Jose Canseco story that you can uh, share with us? Yeah, there's probably two. He's, he and, and he was incredibly kind to me. Um, you know, for a guy that that really got bruised after his career, he, right. he was always really good to the to the people that were lowest in the room, and and that that said a lot to me. You know that that he would treat us the way he did. But he so he was coming off of a he had to have Tommy John. Um, mm. I don't know if you remember, but they put him into pitch. I think in '94. Oh, I remember that. That's right. And he That's blew right. and he yeah. blew out his elbow. Yep. And so he would ask me every day. Uh, to play catch with him, but we would do it underneath the the stand so nobody knew. And so he he and I would stand in in this giant room, kind of underneath, right behind the dugout, and play catch. And he had an absolute cannon for an arm, um, but he didn't want everybody to know that he was trying to get back to play outfield. And I think there were a couple of reasons for that. One, he had the ball bounce off his head for a home run that was embarrassing. Um, but two, you know, he, he just, he was kind of being looked at as, as a DH and he wanted to make himself more marketable in case, you know, you know, things change for him or whatever. So we played catch a lot and, and that was, and that was just a, a ton of fun for me. Cause I, you know, I'd get to go home and tell my parents, I get to play catch with Jose Canseco and, and everything else. But, uh, you know, the, the, the other side of it was he was a phenomenal ping pong player. Uh, they had so Gary Reedus had brought in a ping pong table in the in the Rangers clubhouse that became the stuff of legends, and Canseco was I think ranked fourth in the clubhouse in ping pong. I was up there too. I was I was on the leaderboard. Uh, Billy Ripken was was I think second. There was a pitcher named Chris Carpenter uh, who dominated, and I think third was Rick Helling. Uh, but Jeff Fry was really good too. But I remember being shocked at how good Jose Canseco was at ping pong. Um, that's, that's what, and he was just wicked, man. He would just lull you to sleep and then slam one down your face. And, and that ping pong table was a lot of fun. There's no question. Well, I was just going to say the, uh, the competitive nature that you see in the field, when you, when these guys are playing ping pong, it might be even accelerated even more. <laughs> oh, Kevin, let me tell you when, when there was a rain out, like if, if there was a rain delay that those guys would sprint back up to the clubhouse, <laughs> they would get out the big leaderboard and the tournament would resume. And, and, and it was incredible. The, the competition and the bad boys were involved. We were in the bracket and it was just, it was, a, it was just a ton of fun. And those ping pong matches would last sometimes till two or three in the morning. And I remember one time Cal Ripken was in town and, and Billy obviously played for the Rangers at the time. And Ripken was in the middle of his, his streak his games played streak and he played ping pong for so long. He had blisters on the bottom of his feet. And I thought, this is how this is going to end. And, and, and this is how his streak's going to end. And the next day he's right back out there playing. And I'll never forget that, man. Well, we had Timmy Kirchin on and Timmy told us a story about basketball with Ripken. So, you know, there's probably no more competitive person than the Ripken family, you know? Yeah, and, they were awesome. They were a lot of fun to be around. And the, uh, and finally, um, I'm just curious because I knew him a little bit, but people always told me that Darren Oliver was one of the better guys around. You have any stories about him? He's probably the nicest guy in the clubhouse. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I just looking back I, and I remember we were, I was actually off. I didn't even have to work and I still came up with the uniform on, hung out in the dugout and it was a really exciting game. Conseco, I think had three home runs. One of them had to have gone 500 feet. And I remember I went berserk in the dugout, right? I was just, I was acting like a 16 year old idiot. 
And I remember Darren Oliver pulling me aside very quietly, very calmly. And, and he was like, Hey, you're losing cool points. And that was all he had to say. I knew exactly what that meant. That's a good comment. Yeah. He was basically saying, Hey man, just tone it down. It's all good. You know, we'd like you being around here, but you need to act like the rest of us. And and I'll never forget that. I, I thought the world of Darren Oliver, I thought he was just one of the nicest, very competitive, obviously a hell of a player, uh, but a great clubhouse guy. Great to know. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I always uh, got maybe one or two and then turn it back over to Kevin. He asked a great question to every one of our guests to close out the show. I was dying. This is how sick we are on the show. I was dying to know about the shoe stuff. I was going to ask him that. And so when you said I was so happy because I wanted to hear it myself. Um, but kind of on that same uh, plane before we move to Rob Manfred quick, what, what are some of the secret sauces? Because these gloves nowadays for these kids and even the pro players are expensive. You're talking four or $500 for a glove. Um, you know, cleats are more expensive, bats are more expensive. What are some of the secret sauces that you used on those? I know that the traditional ones, um, I spent a little, I spent time at West Point. So I had the traditional way of cleaning my shoes, the old school polish. I cringe when I see the, you know, the kind of the touch up stuff on there. What are some special sauces that you used on shoes, gloves, even bats? Well, the only thing we could do to gloves, because guys were really particular about them was just wipe them off. Right. If, if there was anything further that needed to be done, those guys wanted to do that themselves. I mean, that's kind of like, you know, talking to a guy's girlfriend. You, know, you just you had to be real careful with the gloves, uh, with the shoes. I mean, it was sometimes we had to get out the power washer, man. It, it, you know, behind the scenes, we do whatever we had to do. We had to relay shoes a lot because, you know, there just wasn't getting any any of that out of a, a pair of laces and stuff. But, uh, you know, we just, you just did what you had to do to make it look good for the next day for those. But yeah, the, and, and with the bats, you know, the one thing that we had to do was make sure that the pine tar wasn't creeping up too, too high. And so sometimes we go in and scrape that down a little bit so they didn't have a George Brett scenario or something like that. But for the most part, we didn't really touch their bats either other than handing it to them and picking it up off the ground. I mean, they, they were pretty particular about their bats as well. Yeah. That's a, I laughed when you said the glove comment, cause that's, that was my rule with my glove. You don't touch my glove. Don't touch my wife. Those two things. And yeah, and you certainly don't put your hand in it. Yes. Like that, that was, man, they were going to fight you if you did that. Ever. I'm still that way today. Um, so with, with the bat boy rules now, you, you gave a great, I mean, tutelage to young kids that may want to enter that field to get into baseball and then really educated our audience on just how hard that job is. What would be your message if you got to sit down with Rob Manfred about, you know, some of these rule changes, you and him at a table, uh, what would be your message to him? Boy, that, that is a good question because I'm not a huge fan. Um, I, I think my message with him to be, you need to hire a really good PR guy uh, because whoever's in charge right now is terrible. Um, going after bat boys and even mentioning that is just absurd. They're not slowing the game down at all. Um, I would tell him that I have two 16-year-old sons that for the last three years have not been able to watch their favorite team on TV. And he's lost them as Ranger fans for life. You know, one of they, they kind of start gravitating towards players at that point. One of them is a huge Bryce Harper fan and one of them is a huge Trey Turner fan. And so now they watch those guys, right? Because that's all they can they can do to consume the game. And so from that standpoint, as a father, it's frustrating because I'm not able to go spend the time with them um, sitting down and watching the Rangers like we like to do when they were younger uh, that we used to do. And so I think he's lost an entire generation from that standpoint, just from not being able to watch the game. But what they've done to me is, is so hypocritical in so many ways. We want to speed up the game. We want to make it faster, all of those things. And at the same time, it's apparent to me that he wants a two, two and a half hour game 
But the fan experience hasn't changed. You still have 30 minutes to wait in line for a hot dog. And now you've missed a quarter of that baseball game waiting in line. And, you know, I could go on and on about things like that, that, that are just absurd uh, on, on their face. And, you know, the, what they're trying to do is cater to the way that, that people consume media today. And that's not how baseball in its purest form is consumed. Baseball is an experience. It's not, it's not a time. That's one of the beauties of the game is it doesn't have a clock, right? I mean, it's, it's over when it's over. And can you imagine if we missed out on Bryce Harper's at bat because he got rung up for a time, uh, you know, violation when he hit the home run against the Padres last year in the playoffs? Well, can you imagine? And that's what would have happened. And so, I would just sit down with him and be like, you need to focus on what you need to focus on. And if you've got a guy that's notorious for taking too long on the mound, put a clock on him. That's fine. But then that clock goes away for everybody else. And until you have somebody that's egregious violator, uh, you know, we just don't need it. Um, We all live our lives according to a clock. And that's the one escape that we can have with our kids and and our family. And my father, you know, I'd go out and sit at a ball game with him and visit and watch the game. I just I think he's lost the beauty of what makes baseball great. And that's what really bothers me. Yeah, I, I like that message to him. Um, you know, back on your your other note as well with the with the bats. I was that way with bats. I did have a bat boy show me this, and I can't remember where we were at. I have to look back in, in notes because I kept I kept a journal when I played, and told me to uh, strip the bat, the the pine tar with rubbing alcohol. Yeah, for the game because it was picking up pebbles, dust pebbles when it gets thrown in the dirt. And he goes, and that, after a while, that's an extra ounce. It's going to slow your hands down. And I love that. I, I thought that was the best. It was from a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> yeah, no, we did that. We, yeah. we absolutely would do that if a guy would let us. We, we'd clean it for sure. And I, and I could afford rubbing alcohol. It was like 99 cents, so we could do that. But, uh, yeah, Glenn, that was a great, great answer. Uh, we'll see if we can get that Rob Manfred sit down with you. i let you and Kevin have Adam in one room and don't let him out. So. I'd love it. I, I think he just shows that he doesn't really watch baseball. And never did. And that's, you know, that, that bothers me. It doesn't like it. It doesn't like it. And uh, with that, Kevin asked a great question of all of our guests at the end. And I'm looking forward to this answer. I, I, everybody gives a different one, but I'll turn it back over to Kevin to hit our final question. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, you can think about it for a second. but It's a simple question. And we've had so many different answers from different perspectives. And obviously you have a unique perspective, player, clubhouse, uh, you know, father, Um but it's a simple question, uh, really. Um, what does it mean to be a ball player to you personally? What does it mean to be a ball player? And, and like I said, you can take a few seconds to think about it because we don't have a clock on our show for the most part. Oh man, that is a really good question. Um, what does it mean to be a ball player? I, I tell you, to me, it it my life was consumed with it, so it kind of meant that I was in that moment where I was supposed to be. Like there was no time where I was more present where my feet were than when I was on a ball field. Um, you know, I from little things like not stepping on the white line when you took the field to taking the field, running it, to smelling the grass, to, you know, I don't have those things in my life these days. Um, you know, and so when I think back over baseball, my time in baseball, and as I watch my sons as they – as they pursue their dreams in, in baseball. Um, I think that that's what I would say is that that is the most connected uh, that I've ever been uh, when I was a ball player, that was the most connected I've ever been to what I was doing at the time. And, and it didn't matter if I was playing in front of one person or, you know, a thousand, it was, 
Uh, it was all about the game. It was all about the next pitch. It was all about the strategy. It was all about watching the pitcher get his tendencies. I mean, there was always something going on. And you weren't on your phone. You weren't checking email. Uh, it was the, it was just it was pure. And so that's that's what it meant to me to be a ball player was I got to represent myself and in, in what I still think to this day is the greatest game. And in that little short window where I got to play, um, and I have no regrets, but in that little short window where I got to play and got to dream and and think of myself as a future big leaguer, even though that was so outlandish, I, I just, you know, I look back on those times very fondly and, uh, you know, being able to spend those times with my sons and my wife and daughter when they like to go, is, it's, I think only baseball does that. I, I can't think of another sport that gives you the time with your family um, like baseball. So that, that's what it means to be, to be a ball player, to, to represent the greatest game there is. Well said, terrific job. I appreciate it. That was, you put me on the spot there, Kevin. That's a good question. <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> that's the, that's the art of Kevin's question asking. He's, he's the best in the business. Uh, that's why he gets the access and has the relationships to do that. I was, I was looking forward to the two of you meeting because being in, in the similar type of business, I knew it was going to be great dialogue. So, um, Kevin, as always, thank you for for what you do for the the production and the network. And Landry, you're certainly a great ambassador for all games here, and we appreciate you coming on. And glad you got a chance to tell your story. Um, and we'd love to have you back at some time. Maybe we'll put Jeff Jeff Fry on the spot, and we'll have you as a surprise guest on his show. And you can, we'll do a tell all on Jeff Fry. I'm That'd be awesome, man. I, anytime I can get on and talk baseball, I'm happy to do it. So I really appreciate you guys letting me do this. It was it was it was therapeutic. I haven't gotten to talk Bat Boy stuff in a really long time. And yeah. Kevin, one of these days, you and I can talk about all the writers, Jim Reeves and Randy Galloway, and oh my god, all those guys, man. I mean, we just they're, they're the best. And uh, yeah, it was just it's a lot of fun. Everybody that's a part of that ecosystem is. Uh, they're all just wonderful people and a lot of fun to be around. So this yeah, was a Texas blast. Boys, the Texas boys were my favorite always as writers. I used to hang, I, I'd hang with them, not the New York guys. And it, it also crossed over to my days of covering the NBA. I hung, I hung with uh, a guy from the uh, Houston Chronicle, another guy from San Antonio, another guy from Dallas. So we were like the uh, four, four amigos and uh, great people in Texas. One of my favorite places. That's awesome. I think you got a couple of TCU fans now here. We'll be rooting for for TCU this year. Uh, but want want to thank our faithful audience. Over fifteen thousand subscribers now. Continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. Follow us on social media: Instagram, Twitter, and especially Facebook. I'll do a question a day live, and I'll answer everybody else's privately. Over three hundred questions uh, today. I still have about half to go. Um, but want to thank you guys. Continue to do that. It'll allow us to continue to give you great content. We're hitting grassroots all the way up to major league front offices, over 71 countries now uh, in our audience. So we're, we're going global um, and continue to follow Kevin on ball nine and on social media, two great articles every week. It won't disappoint. It'll change your perspective on baseball and it'll give you the love of the game that you may be losing because of some of the legislation. So continue to support him. And with our guest Land, Landry Burdine, Landry, thanks so much again. We appreciate you. And we're definitely going to call you on and have you back, buddy. Dave, awesome. I really appreciate it, man. You guys are the best. Thanks. And to our audience, have a great day. We'll be back with you tomorrow.